Hi everyone, I'm Andilia Masugo and this is the Secret Source podcast where we open source the secret source. Glad you could join us for this one because I am rolling deep. I am rolling heavy. And that's because for the first time in podcast history, we have the whole Founders Factory Africa's senior leadership team, aka SLT. We have them all on a single podcast. Hello and welcome everyone. Hello. 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 All right, so let me start by introducing those of you in studio with me here in Johannesburg first. And I'm going to go to my right first. There's four of us sitting around a table and then there's two of us joining from from London. So I'm going to start to my right, Tabiso Foto, who is our CFO. Hi, Tabiso. Hi, Andile. (laughs) How are you doing? Good. Uh, Then I'm going to head over to Bonganis Tole, our CEO. How are you doing? Hi, Andino. I'm well, thank you. Fantastic. And then to your right, Bongani, and my left, we have Alina Truhina, co-founder and ooh, executive advisor, come board member these days. And by the way, a lot of people hearing this will know why you aren't chief strategy officer any longer. But yes, you're still very much part of the FAFA family. So welcome to you, Alina. Hi, everyone. And then joining us in a studio in Soho. Apparently, the studio is actually visible from our office in Soho in London. We have Sam. Sam Sturm is, of course, our chief portfolio officer, also co-founder of this business. Sam, what's up? Hey, guys. We are so sorry we're not in the room with you all, but... We're and I are together holding it down here in Soho. Listen, listen, you, you're here. That's enough for us, man. That's enough for us. And then, and then last but not least, we have co-founder and chairman of this here organization. It is the very redheaded <laughs> Rue Rogers. How are you doing, man? <laughs> I'm okay. That's a wonderful introduction. Thank you. <laughs> it's the Red Sox. Don't never hear hair. the end of that. It's, <laughs> the, it's the Red Sox. It's the red hair. We it's... would love if we focused on the on the hair that's still on his head as a as a distinguishing factor. I don't know why none of you mentioned the charm and the intelligence. <laughs> there's, okay. there's that too. There's that too, Rue. Forgive us. Forgive us. Thank you, Listen, thank you. today's episode is aptly titled Founders Factory Africa the evolution will be podcast. All right. So this is the first time you're all together on a podcast, but certainly not in the same room. Increasingly now in different parts of the world for many, many interesting reasons, but all part of a very important mission that is not done, folks. We just got started. Heads up team and everyone listening. This conversation is going to happen at the intersection of this incredible panel's personal lives, what they're learning from their professional experience, not least what they're learning from leading the team at Founders Factory Africa, but it also happened at the intersection of their experience prior to that. And of course, what is live and and trending in their lives today. We're going to open with really, what is an ice-breaking question? What three words for you, starting with you, Alina, sum up the last four years of leading the team at Founders Factory Africa, as a co-founder, but also as chief strategy officer, I've been privileged to to report into your into that function. But yeah, what three words sum up your experience as a human being at this party, but also as a professional leading a team? The three that come to mind, actually, one of them is in the title of this podcast. So evolution. Okay. Rapid. Rapid. Emotional. Emotional. I'm going to hit to you, Bones. Um Three words. Three words. Some of the last, for you, it'll be less than four years because you obviously, there's the small matter of you selling a business to join the team to make this your sole focus or your primary focus. I know you're entrepreneurial in other ways, but yeah, what three words since you joined the team, roughly three plus 
years ago? I think persistence. Persistence. Leadership. Leadership. And growth. And growth. Sam, what did they be for you? You obviously have a history with your co-founding partners, Alina and, 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 and Rue, bringing some of that history and relational history into this game. I'm not saying that's one of your words, but maybe it is. <laughs> what three words for you, man? I, no, I, I, it wasn't going to be, but, but listening to you say it, I think relationships ah. is one of them. Opportunity mm -hmm. and probably more than anything, humbling. Humbling. Rue, your three words? Vision, creativity, and human. Hmm. Tabiso? I would go with curiosity, innovation, and entrepreneurship. So I'm going to ask you all to sort of think about what you were doing just before this, right? And by this, I mean Founders Factory Africa. And, and sort of maybe by way of sort of letting us into that world and, and, and sort of the trajectory you were on before this, this journey began, what would you say is the most useful thing you were able to glean from your previous experience, the last thing you did before Founders Factory Africa. Sam, what, what would you say that would be for you? I think when the idea for what has become Founders Factory Africa arose, it was based on the work that Rue, Alina, and I were doing just before this. And it was the recognition of an incredible opportunity on the continent, the belief in entrepreneurs from having the amazing opportunity to work with a number of them and learn from a number of them and support them. And also the recognition that while, you know, we have incredible uh, resources and opportunity at our disposal, local founders are the solution, right? And so I think the experience <clears throat> that, that we had, and I'll again speak for myself, that, that I had of getting to work with local founders and to see them day in, day out solving real problems that they faced and that their customers and families and neighbors faced. Watching that was incredibly inspiring. And I think that that inspiration is what led to the, you know, see, planted the seeds that, that have become FFA. And at least for me, have been what always drives and motivates me. And that would have been at Spring, right? The, um, would you call it an incubator, accelerator? Accelerator yeah, correct. program? So, yeah, Spring, which was an accelerator program that was funded by Nike Foundation and, and DFID, supporting socially impactful ventures across East Africa and South Asia. And it would have been your first taste of experiencing all, everything you just described in the context of Africa and Africans, right? Because your, your, <laughs> your accent kind of betrays your North American <laughs> Exactly. I, I, I am neither. So I'd, I'd, had the, I'd had the incredible, I know. In in London in, in in London it makes me stand out as well. Um, I'm pretty um, sure it does. I, that I, said, I, I, I am who I am. You would not be uh, arrested for being a New Yorker though, even though you are, because mm. of how you sound. I I, I, I am. That's a, there's a whole other podcast about how I lost my my Brooklyn <laughs> accent at, at age three. Stay tuned. Stay tuned, folks. <laughs> Keep it locked to the secret sauce. But, but I think I, I think right. So, so at spring so at spring we'd um you know I'd, I'd had the incredible opportunity to work with in with entrepreneurs uh, in emerging markets prior to that as well as entrepreneurs and corporate venture arms you know in, in new york and san francisco and, and europe but never at the scale that we did at spring and so spring was i think i think the really interesting thing about spring for myself was was just the absolute scale and so yeah. while it wasn't the first time i'd 
worked in emerging markets. Oh, I, it really was the first. It really was the the first time that I'd done so at scale, and and the first time I'd done so at scale uh, on the continent. And we're going to touch on scale, fam. We're going to touch on scale in this podcast. <laughs> but uh, how about you, see Because I, I want to go to Tabiso next because. I mean, VC was this whole new thing for you, right? Um, you've been an investments professional in the more mainstream traditional sense. Give us a sense of what from that world and maybe giving us a, a glimpse into that world you've found most useful in bringing into your your practice now as, I know you, I, I introduced you as our chief financial officer, but at this stage, you're probably the most amped at the work we're doing to bring sort of commercial interests and impact yeah. And frame that in a way that we, you know, perhaps hasn't been done before as, you know, in this very specific way. And you're the most amped about that in I our am. team. Your eyes, your eyes <laughs> are sparkling eyes just... in the, these days in ways I've never seen. <laughs> but yeah, so, but let me not, let me not unpack that too much right now. But what, what did you come from and, and what have you brought with you that you found most useful? I think just to touch on why I'm so amped about this is really the fact that, and it ties back to, the world I come from. You said I'm an investment professional. I am actually not. Uh, if you speak to investment professionals, they'll say, no, she's not. <laughs> I'm a finance professional, Ooh. but with exposure to investments. So I worked for a company that was investing on behalf of pension funds, medical schemes, and other corporates. And I think it took one, a number of conversations, but one breakfast meeting that I attended at one of the many conversations that we that we arranged within the industry around, and, and, and just one gentleman who just spoke about how the pension funds act is not working for them, particularly South in South Africa. Okay. But I think that's generally the issue around, uh, across Africa, it's not just a South African thing, right? That saving for retirement I think works very well in developed economies, but not so much for developing economies. And the gentleman literally said, you want me to re to save for my retirement, but what if I don't get there? What if I don't have enough money to save for my children's education right now? Or I don't have access to healthcare. And I think that kind of um, made me stop and think, why are we not investing in those spaces? And while I understand that the, your investment managers generally are really restricted by mandates from the pension funds themselves in terms of where they can invest the money, it needs to be a low risk asset class and because you want to preserve the capital of the pensioners, right? But generally, those investments tend to go to what's low risk. It's the listed stocks because they have a track record of performance there is a track record of profitability and they are likely to preserve their capital. They're not bankable. So, they're bankable. Not so much investment goes into before that, right? It's perceived risky. It's a very high risk investment. So the space that we're working in in Founders Factory Africa is very high risk. And we know that, right? It is high risk. But then I then started asking the question that if we all want to invest in the low risk already de-risked investments, who is actually investing in the riskier assets and who is de-risking, right? And when you look at the top 10, maybe Nasdaq stocks right now, a lot of those companies didn't exist before. That also then sparked the curiosity for me to say, so who identified those businesses before everybody else did? So that's why I started with curiosity in that I wanted to understand who are the people who identify new ventures when they're still very new, when nothing exists, no track record, 
very risky, but could potentially change the world. So that's kind of where that came from. And for me, when the Founders Factory opportunity came up, it was just mm. a no-brainer to be able to just connect that old world to trying to unpack and starting to build businesses together with these guys. And Bongs, I teased earlier, or alluded to earlier, the fact that you were an entrepreneur. You were living the reality that Tabis was curious about, right, as an entrepreneur. But I'd imagine you'd have seen a difference in, or they, there would have been your entrepreneurial experience and the limitations you might have seen in that experience or the capped potential, potentially, of, of, of the work you were doing by pouring yourself into building businesses, one of which, again, you, you, you ran just before you joined. What did you see as, as, I mean, it was obviously important work. You, you got up every day, you were excited about it, you had a team. It was working, it was a successful business. But what wasn't, what wasn't happening there that you could see could and should happen at, at Founders Factory Africa when you joined? It's very interesting. Sometimes when I look at my career, I actually wrap it around you know, one word, which is tenacity, right? I grew up in a household where my mother was uh, an entrepreneur and... Up until today, you know, uh, over 70, she's still thinking about like, what type of business can I start <laughs> type of thing. And I really saw her building small businesses to support us, right? And when I opened up my first business, really the question was, what does it take to drive and run a business? And I think at the heart of it is tenacity, right? Because when you think about success, you can think about the end goal, but but I've realized building business is not necessarily about the end goal, it's about the journey. And the journey means that you have to have tenacity to overcome challenges as you build. And um, the few businesses that I've started before joining Founders Factory, I learned that there's an art to building products that scale and having tenacity in the mix of it. Yeah, so joining Founders Factory Africa for me was really how do you do that at scale, right? And how do you actually help entrepreneurs to essentially build businesses and build products that can scale. But at the heart of it, you have to find someone who has tenacity to be able to go through the challenges of building, right? And be able to just help them to learn the art. Because you might not necessarily have the, the art piece of it, but you gotta have tenacity. No one can teach you that. But then what were you seeing in your experience prior to this that was what potentially something you could help in, in that direction when you joined FFA? Was it something, was it that there was only so much you could do to help the people around you in, in your previous in your previous business that you could, you know, scale up in, in this role? or so, so the difference is that I was living the experience of being a founder, mm. right? And the question for me was, how do I do this at scale with other founders? My interest really coming to Founders Factory Africa was we're going to build 100x businesses, right? What it took for me to build businesses, can I be able to pour that on other entrepreneurs across Africa to be able to help them to lend the art and enhance their tenacity in solving local problems? Mm. Alina, there's a there's a, a beautiful telling of your a sharing of your story that's out in the world, and we'll probably link it in the show notes of this podcast. So we won't go super deep. And of course, people heard what one of those episodes, at least the first episode in that three part series on this very show. So what I'll ask is slightly different for you, which is, you know, who in your past would be the most surprised by how your career is turning out and why, right? So if you think about like. You work in in private sector. You work in you know for 
institutions like the World Bank and then and then you know your collaboration with you know Ruin and, and Sam and others during spring and now now Founders Factory Africa now moving on to a new fund. I mean there's obviously, you know, and if you're wondering if there's a story behind this, there is. Check out the show notes. But yeah, who would be the most <laughs> surprised in how this is turning out for you? With FFA as part of that story. My ten year old self? In which ways would this be, you know, surprise or versus disbelief or disbelief versus surprise and why? I think that there's a lot of sort of generalizations around what it takes to be an innovator. And generally speaking, there's also a lot of emphasis on a career being a, a linear trajectory, which we all know around this table that it's not. And so thinking back to my 10-year-old self, I probably thought I'd get a a comfortable corporate job and, you know, have a family and be successful that way. But little did I know that the seeds have been planted around what Bongani was saying, which is watching my parents go through enormous change, myself going through enormous change. And that has been transformative in the way that I think about what success means and how I can play a role in enabling other people to be as successful or more successful than what we've seen and what I have been able to do and will be able to do. So I think it's shifting from that perspective of having a career as something that is a ladder to climb to how can I deliver something impactful and at scale mm. and put in the tenacity, to use Bongani's word, I love that word, yeah. to be able to achieve that and execute on that. I've heard, uh, Rue, I heard you describe what we do at Founders Factory Africa, not just as a business with an impact mission embedded, but also as a culture shift exercise for an ecosystem that, you know, as an African, I can tell you, is not comfortable with the idea of failure, is not comfortable with the idea of iterative growth or iterative learning with, you know, setbacks as part of that process. And so for someone who's watched as you've watched, you know, FFA, Founders Factory Africa, kind of iterate from the initial idea on a napkin that you, Sam and Alina, you know, were sort of trying to sort of whiteboard and bring into existence and then becoming its co-founding CEO. And now sort of because of growth, because of the scale that we're all talking about starting to be achieved, you're getting a different vantage point, stepping back to become chairman and sort of you know, participate in its next phase phase of growth. What would you point to, and I'm speaking about FFA specifically, as the biggest L, the biggest loss, the biggest failure that you encountered or setback that you encountered, you know, given your, I think, I suppose being the being at the lead for so long or for the longest in, in the circle? I would say the Biggest L loss for those. <laughs> biggest loss. Learning, the learning loss. Yeah, love the kids. The kids. I thought any L. Like, I know. Any L. <laughs> you guys clearly are not on TikTok. <laughs> I'm not either. What's but TikTok? The, the young people. The young people call taking an L, <laughs> taking a loss. <laughs> got it. Got it. Challenge. Challenge. Oh, challenge will will be fine, Rue. The biggest challenge was COVID, mm. and it was completely unexpected, a total surprise. It threatened our business, it threatened the continent. We knew it was going to have an exponential impact compared to other countries and geographies, but we didn't know what it was going to be. We are a team built on connectivity and we're very close. Um, in-person connectivity, you'd say, right? In-person connectivity. We do not believe in managing from afar. We don't really believe in hierarchically managing either. 
right? Um, we are we function as a partnership in many many ways. And so when you create a situation where nobody can travel, you can't meet in person, where you're forced to communicate over Zoom, it threw a massive challenge that we could never have planned for. And I'm not sure if we as an SL team adapted to it. Rather, the what happened, which I think is really interesting, is a company formed almost in an organic way, its own ways of culturally managing risk and staying creative. Right, and I think that actually showed us that our greatest strength is not one individual or collection of individuals, but it's the way the company works. And the company kept working to find great entrepreneurs to incentivize them to take risks, and in so doing so, being creative and creating new leaps and bounds that would most corporates and most other companies wouldn't do on their own accord. That continued throughout COVID. We kept building, and so I don't think it's because of our sort of again our, co- our company structure, our governance, or our mission or our vision. I think it's the way we work, the way we connect to people, and that connection held us together during COVID. And I think that's very powerful. So I'm going to ask Sam this question, but in fact, before I ask Sam this question directly, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand if, or to say I, if you <laughs> had a bit of a cry. In the last month. Oh, I, I, I. <laughs> I thought you were going to say hour, and my hands were going to be up. So. <laughs> the last hour, and the reason I was, I was picking on you, Sav, is because you've obviously it's a just, Monday. You, you and your your family have just welcomed a, uh, a a bouncing baby boy into your into your lives, and I imagine their moments he, he'll make you cry out of joy, mostly. I hope so. I imagine this is true for you, but I, I there's a reason I'm asking this question. So we've got I from from Alina in the last month. Bongs, have you had a cry? No, not in the last month. Not yeah. in the last month. Yeah, no, okay. Bongs, you're missing in how out. Long, in how long? When was the last time you had a cry? I can't recall, but suddenly sometime late last year. Oh, late last year. Yeah, but it's not been a hot minute. But but not 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 last month. Not last <laughs> month. Okay. Yeah. Tabiso. Aye. 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 Um, I cry um, a lot. Ru, Ru, <laughs> had, have you had a cry recently? I'm a very emotional human being, but I don't really cry. Okay. Um, so my children ask if I have tear ducts, which I'm sure I do. But, um, Are you I'm human, Dad? I'm more, more of a, I express my crying through talking. Um, okay. okay, so back to Sam. Sam, you, have you had a cry in the last month? Maybe I shouldn't assume. Oh, yes, very much so. Okay, and, it, and, and really the reason I ask this question is because I think one of the profoundly disarming things I found in joining this team. I think it's something that is intentional, uh, intentionally wrought by the, the, you know, your leadership as a team is, you know, there's a safety I, I sense or I enjoy. And, and, and I, uh, I can't speak to everyone on the team, but I think this is generally widely accepted that we, it's, there's, a, there's an emotional safety that, you know, Founders Factory Africa, you know, certainly inculcates for, you know, its leadership certainly inculcates for its team and, and this culture and we do it together and it's not just you guys like leading from the front and us being sort of, you know, it's it's definitely a real thing. And I wonder, is, you know, the fact that you're creating an emotionally safe place to do our work together, is that part of something you think about? And what does that look like for a chief portfolio officer at FFA? I don't know another way, personally. Like, I, I don't know another way than to bring my whole self, which includes doubts, which includes excitement, which includes questions and ideally, hopefully vulnerability, Mm. 
I, so to me, it is, it is not maybe as purposeful as it could be. You know, I, 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 I could imagine a world in which if it, if, if it were more, if it were more purposeful, when you say purposeful, there, there do you mean better, like channeled? But, you mean, do you mean if it was more channeled? Because I mean, I don't know that if it were channeled or that sort of, you know, packaged, it, it might lose its magic, wouldn't it? It might. Yeah. I, it's not, as I said, I, I don't know another, I, I don't know another way. And I think for, for me, what it means in, in, in a portfolio role is, again, it, it's, it's all driven, it's entirely driven by vision and not my vision, but the vision of this company and, and what we have sold to everybody who works with us and not just sold, but like what the reason they've devoted their time and careers to building this company and supporting our founders is the, the deep belief that I think you heard Alina and Bongani reference it, that, yeah. you know, through our support, we can enable them to achieve incredible things. Hmm. And, and I think if you, being a, being a founder is so hard. Being a founder is so unbelievably hard, emotionally hard, psychologically hard, you know, for, for many people, financially difficult. And if we, if we don't show up as a team and as individuals and as leaders and as partners and collaborators and colleagues in a way that makes it okay for things to be hard and for things to be exciting and to celebrate wins and to celebrate and acknowledge losses, L's, then I think we, we do a real disservice to our founders and to ourselves and to our team. Mm. And so I, I, I just, if, if you are doing this work, which is so taxing and takes so much of you, I think you, I think you have to be. And so as, as, as you know, chief portfolio officer, you know, my, my remit is to make sure that our portfolio is as successful as possible, that we build the best portfolio possible, that we support it and that, it is it is as successful as as it can be and again it comes down to the fact that like a successful portfolio means successful ventures and successful ventures mm -hmm. are built on successful founders and and you know it is it is all relational it is all relationships and again personally i don't know another way to show up than fully <laughs> i've i've been and i've gotten the feedback previously that like <laughs> fully can be a lot so I, I'm, I'm, I am I'm, asking, I'm, I'm asking the dudes first because i think there's a stereotypical how hard are you finding corporate ladies you know what i mean like, what was that change in voice <laughs> sorry, did I, that, right? <laughs> sorry did i just condescend i i take that back how, how difficult is it being a woman in a man's world or oh, whatever it is right and and, and i but I, I i honestly i feel and I genuinely apologize for changing my voice, but I, I think there's something even in 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 how you know Ru and, and Bongani, you know, how you guys have chosen to lead over time. I've never seen you cry, but I've definitely sensed that you are. I sensed a, a vulnerability and an openness that you wouldn't associate with corporate leadership or call it VC or venture building or accelerators. There's usually a very macho, very, sometimes even toxic, authoritarian, hyper-confident, hyper-competent sensibility that, you know, you know, dominates that world. So I wonder how much of that is an intentional thing on your part, or is it like Sam, you know, and again, Bong's brew, is it like Sam where this is, this is literally how you lead because it's an outflowing of what you do. And I know we're going to be wrapping up soon because 
um, some of our emotional dudes have to go <laughs> have a cry. I'm joking. Uh, we honestly don't have as much time as I wish we had. But yeah, is this intentional on your part? How much of, how much time do you spend thinking about things like that as men in leadership within this context? I think Sam alluded to it's hard to run a business. And if you're not going to bring your whole self, you're not going to make it. Any successful businesses, if you were to look at the you know founding teams, they have gone through a whole lot of emotion to iterate and build to get to a place that one can term it as success. And I think we, or at least personally, I, I don't think that this would be successful if we're not pouring our hearts into this, right? We don't have to cry to show that we're emotional about, about the business and we're thinking about the business on a daily basis. I mean, I have, I have days where I dream about this business, <laughs> right? Uh, I have days when I drive home, uh, especially in the last two years and, and during COVID to Ruth's point, it's like, is this thing going to work? Are we going to get full on capital? Are we going to be able to provide the necessary support to founders? And uh, it takes a whole lot of commitment, emotion to be able to build and uh, push through, through hard times, right? And from a leadership point of view, I think that has to be seen by your peers. That has to be seen by the people that you are hiring, that we are all here to build, right? And I think if, if as a leader, your followers are struggling to see that without you saying it, you're going to have a hard time to build a successful business. And I mean, Ru, before you jump in, so I've seen you and Bongs, uh, when, you were, when you were CEO, before you became chairman, before, you know, you were ND Bongs before you became CEO. I saw you both take, and this one's for you, Ru, I saw you both take in-person criticism and you were challenged, your leadership was challenged in what I, re- in retrospect, was in a quite healthy way, but in sometimes perhaps disrespectful way. From, from people who I imagine think they know what it means to lead or be in that position. And, and, I, and you modeled for me, as someone who's never been in that position, what I might do or ought to do if I'm ever, you know, the point person at a large organization with important mission. And I just wonder what it's like being in those moments. Are you modeling leadership in that moment? Or are you, are you literally like, suppressing rage <laughs> would we be shocked at the dark depth of your anger in that in those moments or are you mindful of some of what i'm hearing sam and 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 bongani talk about just about you know this is the right thing to do and you it's you are you fully in control and mindful of that sense that you and the responsibility you have in that moment and you probably know exactly which moments i'm talking about I mean, I think businesses are just collections of people. FFA is a collection of exceptional people who build businesses for people. And people are more than just their waking hours of going to work or not going to work. And so to successfully build for people or make businesses for people or support entrepreneurs, you have to engage everything in a person. You can't ask them to turn up at nine and leave at five and think you know them. You can't pretend that people are robots who come to work and fill out a spreadsheet and leave again and that's going to be successful. You have to actually say, everything that makes this person in front of me is what I need to know, I need to understand, I need to hear from, right, and be open to hearing from in order to build success, right? And so my perspective of people is they are complex 
and it's in the complexities that you understand their needs better. And when you understand their needs, you can coordinate and organize and lead and drive success better. So I'm not going to be sort of wishy-washy and say, you know, we do it just because of our values, because those are our values. Our values are empathy, kindness, collaboration, transparency, risk, acceptance, fail forward. But that's not the only reason we have those values, right? We have those, we have those values because it makes us better at what we do, right? If somebody is fearful of making a mistake, if somebody has made a mistake and doesn't want to tell you, the risk is more from the denial of the mistake, right, than it is from the mistake itself. You want people to come and talk to you even if you have the words chief in front of your title, right? You want to be approachable. You don't want people to fear you. And I think being a leader is often confused with power. Power is to be used responsibly and power is really to be used to steer and enable others to be the best selves. And that's what we do. We all help other people, whether they're in our company or outside of our company, to be their best selves, which is their most honest selves and their most complete selves. One of, one of the most important things on this topic specifically, Andil, is that as a leader, you're probably holding three, three years or so, right? ahead of the people that are working for you. So there's a world in which where when someone comes to you confronting you, of course, with a, an open policy, as Ria said, that you want people to freely come to you. Because of you holding a context of where this is going the next three to five years, and someone is sitting in front of you confronting the world of today, sometimes the reason why we're not reacting in a way that people would want us to react is because of we understand the context. Right. So you are treating or providing feedback to an individual in front of you because of you understand the context that you hold and the context that they hold. So it's not because of you holding back against what they're saying. You understand the context is different. So for that reason, you then pull a leadership approach to how should I try and educate and pull this person to where I am? Because that's what leadership is, right? If we're in 2023, we ought to be sitting here thinking about where 2025, 2027 is going to be. And our responsibility as leaders is to pull our team towards that destination. And uh, their reasoning and their point of view of, and the world of today is completely different to that world of 2025. And we ought to be there and be able to be practical around how we address our challenges, address our concerns, be able to pull them into that world that we are, that we are as leaders. So Alina, this business, I think I described up front as a live corporate iteration. I think I used the, the word experiment at some point, didn't go down too well. I think in, I think I shared it in a, in a team. I described this as a, a corporate experiment. And I think, yeah, it, it, I, I can't remember who on this call, but it was definitely one of you on this call. It's like, come on, experiment, really? That does sound a little too too much for the world to handle right now because on, on, on some on some level that's what we we've been you know it's been a studied and a very well executed and and well calculated experiment in a certain direction so I don't want to give it the impression that's been this like, well let's roll up these dice and see what happens but point is most companies a lot of companies that end up our size don't start out with the desire to iterate as part of their design right? And I'm asking you to give me a sense of how difficult it's been as the team member in, in the senior leadership team that's 
primarily led the charge in enthusing new corporate partners to our model, right, to co-invest as investment partners with us in a model that is is itself evolving. People generally prefer to box you in and and take the the kind of the the well known, the established. You know, till this day, everybody that looks at us as a uh, venture capital firm, they want you to be a traditional two and twenty VC firm. Um, and the minute you actually try and explain to them why the market is demanding a different approach and why things don't work, that's when you have to work really hard with your stakeholder, i.e., the investor or even your team, right? Because your team is the most important stakeholder here to share the reasons behind it. And so, I think it's. Always, but it's 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 a bottom up rather than top down approach. So bottom up meaning, what are the models that we envisage would serve our main stakeholders and shareholders in the environment and the environment that's to come for the next five to ten years? And what are the shifts in the market that we're seeing? And again, the market being first and foremost our entrepreneurs, our team, our investors. And how do we adapt to that? And so absolutely part of that is iteration. Absolutely it's based on learning and absolutely based on data that we collect, again, not just from our portfolio, but our own team and our own experiences. And that portfolio is sitting at 55-odd businesses at this point. 56. 56. Well, nearly, I think. No, uh, we're there. Did we get there? <laughs> oh, my word. Ding, ding, ding. We got there. Okay. That's fantastic. Okay. But it's an exciting, I mean, this is why I do what I do, which is it is exciting to change perceptions, yeah. right? We spoke about culture and it's changing perceptions for the person who is, you know, the P, the private equity person sitting in New York who thinks Africa is just a charity case. It's incredibly frustrating because there are still misperceptions about this amazing continent. In the same way as you referenced, there are still misperceptions about the ways of work, you know, in our own team that we trying to ingrain and change and and build on. And mm. so I think that this company will continue to evolve because that is absolutely in our DNA and in our nature, as it should, because we're here to serve people. We're here to serve humans. Let's quantify what this looks like. This looks like convincing major corporate investment partners, is what we like to call them, to part with in excess of 110 million USD, right, to back this model. Our idea, uh, you know, I we're looking for better words, and 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 this one's tenuous too in some in some in, in some uh, pockets in our team. But this idea of us being an operator investor, it's not an easy thing to sell in the you know given what the you know traditional expectation is around like what VC or PE or uh, you know should look like or venture building should look like, and so that's really what we're talking about. But then there's the ad added complexity and. And maybe this is a question I'll, I'll, I'll close on for you, Tabiso, which is the added complexity of sourcing that cash from both commercial, hard-nosed capitalist interests <laughs> that don't invest on less return <laughs> on investment, but also sources of income that exist for, you know, for missional objectives like impact and, you know, foundations that are, you know, that are bequeathed, you know, and, and given, you know, funds and trust to manage for the good of the world. And and our argument is we are this API that can help figure out what and when various kinds of capital might be needed by founders and how best to deploy it. 
and but also how best to help them you know sweat it for for great results is really the sell so as the C, as the cfo and the de facto sort of impact champion <laughs> in our business right now like what 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 do you what do you find the hardest to explain to people who assume that it you can't you can't bring the two together it's either you're trying to chase returns on a purely capitalist basis or you're all about impact and and, and the bleeding heart for you know have a bleeding heart for the world is there a middle ground that we're figuring out for ourselves and, and do you wish more people got it I think there's a lot of progress that we're seeing. So for example, the whole blended finance or blended capital model is really being championed by various organizations including OECD for example, which essentially is looking to really do that, which is take take philanthropic capital for example, development finance and combining it to actually unlock more capital from private investors, right? And the reason being Africa as it stands needs a combination of all sources of capital to actually really achieve sustainable development or inclusive growth right which is exactly what we want to see so i do think there's definitely different groups of investors and as long as they're not talking yes it might be difficult to have the conversation across the different investors however we're seeing a lot more conversation coming up around trying to combine philanthropic capital combining private capital taking development finance to actually unlock more sources of capital for the development that we want to see largely because like we said earlier there are investors who are looking for a quick return but there are also investors who are okay with their capital sitting for a long periods of time because they understand that what they're investing in takes time to actually realize value or realize returns so having a combination of that short term capital i think a lot of people try well when i say short term it could be uh 5 years actually when you compare it to vc ask, for example yeah, okay. right it's relatively a shorter term yes i think when you look at the whole spectrum of investments it's very different money market you want your money within 3 months essentially you want to be able to access it at any time so you want liquidity but as you go across the spectrum there's capital that is okay to sit for 5 years because that's how, that's the amount of time you expect to take for your for your investment to actually realize value but the space that we're in which is in within the venture capital space or just if you look at infrastructure development similarly it takes a long time to actually really realize value uh or to yield the returns because we're doing VC with a context of like lagging infrastructural development relative to other yeah. places in the world so when you look at it then from an so so a lot of what we're doing and i think the model already is well set uh, or well positioned for for combining all those different sources of capital to be able to really deliver that sustainable development that we want to see so venture capitalists on their own will not be able to achieve that private equity on their own will not be able to achieve that similarly philanthropic capital on their own and commercial corporate partners will not be able to develop and governments as well will not be able to to achieve that on their own so you need that combination of of stakeholders to come together and look at how best do we actually really develop our continent because yeah not one mm. not one investor is going to be able to deliver the impact that we want to see across the continent and so we're not going to pretend we have this all figured out because as i said earlier we're in evolution 
and we're iterative as a business and we're constantly learning. We're just trying to do it in public. It's not the easiest thing even to make time for because there's so many things aside from being on podcasts that <laughs> this team has to be doing and, and why we have to close this podcast now, even though I have a million more questions for all of them. But I think what we are saying is we want you to hold us accountable to sharing what we're learning from how we're trying to basically innovate in the space, right? And and so to that degree, I'm going to do the shameless plug, check out the show notes for some writing we, we, we our team is doing and some reflections they'll be doing in the space. We won't just share stuff we're learning ourselves, follow us on the socials. We, we definitely like to scale great ideas we're learning from other people, market learnings that we're, we're learning from markets we haven't even entered yet that we're, we're, we're trying to you know, figure out how to do this. And... The community and comms team I lead at Founders Factory Africa will be doing their utmost best to get this illustrious group of individuals onto another podcast so we don't make this a one-hit wonder. Anyway, a real quick thank you to all five of these incredible senior leaders leading the, the charge at, at Founders Factory Africa, people I am privileged to call colleagues, people I am privileged to be led by, and I will let them sign off by telling you what their favorite thing on their a, a music streaming playlist is right now, just so you can get into their heads a little bit. So, thanking you first, Tabiso Photo. What's on your playlist? Do you really want to know? Yeah, we really <laughs> want to know. And we'll have links to those tracks in the show notes too. <laughs> so you can jam with them. It is Burner Boy. Burner Boy. What are you playing from Burner Boy? A lot. <laughs> You're going to have to. <laughs> We're gonna pick one and put it in the show notes. You'll have to. You'll have to commit. You'll have to commit. Boani, what's on your playlist that you want to share with the people? I mean, I am a I'm a big fan of gospel. So uh -huh. at the moment, not specific song. I always, I, I, I've got I've got various sort of artists. Right now, though. Right now, what's trending? What's trending right now? I mean, I haven't listened to music in a while. Oh, so. my word. <laughs> Is there going to be Bongani in the next step? <laughs> I'll just say gospel. Anything gospel, gospel okay. works for me. All so. right. We'll let yeah. the selector yeah. select. <laughs> Alina, what's on your playlist? I'm going to be another one of those, but I listen to podcasts. You listen to podcasts. Yes. Are you going to have a podcast selection? I, I can absolutely share my podcast selection. Which one would you would you pick? Oh, there's so many. Right now. Talk right now. Mind. There's one that's by Bloomberg called Zero. Zero. talks about climate tech. Climate tech. I wonder why you care about climate tech at the moment. <laughs> well, I wonder why that's we trending. Why. Alina, Sam. By the way, Sam, fun fact. Sam always does this fun thing. He's got this little mini boombox he travels with. And whenever he feels like the, the, the vibe in the office is getting a little too somber, he just starts to play some 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 really cool jams. So what's what's trending for you now, Sam? I do. There, 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 there are three things sort of on, on repeat mm -hmm. right now. Some... Classic, classic Motown. Classic Motown. Uh, Otis Redding, Otis in Redding. particular, seems to calm. Okay, so, oh, so what's the name of the song? And and gets and uh, Hayes, Hayes seems to be into Otis Redding. Hard to handle makes him cackle with glee, which is good enough. Which is a good enough reason to have it on repeat, and makes me happy too. So Otis Redding, some deep cuts of of Anderson Pack, uh, okay. and then uh, he's rolling Toby with the young Ligre, people. The, okay, uh, yeah, and then Toby and Wigwe the. Uh, Nigerian American the Houston, rapper, the Houston uh, native by way Houston of, well, the Nigerian in, in, by way of Houston. <laughs> exactly has has a new Spotify. He did sort of a Spotify singles, and I've been listening to that. We'll bless the people with all your selections. We'll bless your people. Rue, what what's what what are you listening to before you you rush off? Thelonious Monk, Round Midnight. 
Sorry, I didn't catch that one. <laughs> it's jazz. <laughs> Thelonious Monk, around midnight. Thelonious Monk. You see how all these um, elder, these elderly folks are laughing at me. I can see how it's going on here. Yeah, I'm joking. I, that's I'm g- definitely going to check out because I've never heard of that artist and that song. Really? So I'm going to check it out. I'm actually Which listening one? to jazz too. Fun fact. No one asked, but I'll tell you. I'm listening to <laughs> Abdullah Ibrahim and uh, the Blue Bolero, uh, Blue Bolero on his latest solo album, which is just piano. It's just, it's just, yeah, it's devastating. It's a beautiful song. But I'll check out all of these selections and they will be available for all of you. Open source to the public right here on the Secret Source Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to Alina, Bongani, Tabiso, Ru, and Sam. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you. Yes. Cheers. Cheers.